This episode of The Clear Out was recorded on the 21st of November 2023 at home in Wicklow and it is an episode inspired by, propelled by, catalyzed by International Men's Day, which I didn't even realize was on. (laughs) So I sort of respond to that. I try to contextualize that. And it leads me to two major, two or three major talking points in the episode. One of which is a 1971 movie about sexual politics and in particular the male perspective on women and sex. And it's a movie that still holds up really well today with some very good acting, great um, and some great dialogue, a very good script. So that's one Two is uh, my response to uh, a tweet from someone I know and his sort of exhortation or recommendation for the three things men should reflect on on International Men's Day. And my response to that leads me to the third thing I talk about today, which is the value or not of atonement and I try to look at what atonement means to whom so that's what's coming up Uh, I hope you find it engaging diverting entertaining and any other positive ings I'll see you around the corner cheers not gonna change my mind leaving the dream Hi, my name is Dara Clear and you're listening to The Clear Out. You're very welcome. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for choosing this podcast, which is my podcast. So in a way, you've chosen me. <laughs> and that's all I'm here for. I'm just here to satisfy a deep, primal need to be chosen. <laughs> uh, and listen, if you want to do some more choosing... If this podcast is your thing or one of your things, if you like the way I treat life's challenges, mental health, personal responsibility, personal philosophy, self-care and all that kind of thing, you can become a friend of the podcast at patreon.com forward slash the clear out. And for the price of a sandwich or a cup of tea or a couple of bars of chocolate, (laughs) depending on what your thing is, you can support me and endorse this, endorse and validate this independent podcast. And believe me, you don't have to believe me, but I'm I'm just going to say it anyway. Believe me, I would be very grateful. That stuff really is meaningful it does mean something it's a a token of faith um and more than a mere token because of course it is it is a financial uh commitment to this thing that i do so that's it um otherwise yeah all the usual social media challenges challenges (laughs) that um something a bit freudian about that social media channels are challenging on all the social media platforms you can throw me a bit of love a comment a review rate you can subscribe all of that sort of stuff and i am expecting the at last finally the new improved website for the clear out should be up and running um very very soon so i'm looking forward to being able to share that with you Okay, let's get on with it. So I have one main theme on my mind for this week's episode, which I'm going to try and keep. I'm going to try and keep this one under an hour if possible. Uh, I do not always, I mean, I don't, I rarely succeed in keeping it under an hour. Um, But I have a few errands to run after recording. So I need to, I need to get my butt out the door about an hour from now. So... I'll see if I can 
it's not that I don't stay on point. It just feels like there's always something else to say. There's always another valence to be considered, another facet to to look at. Um, but before I get to my main thing, um, International Men's Day was last Sunday, the 19th of November. <laughs> and it passed without note, without incident. In my life, anyway, I'm not sure about elsewhere. Um, I didn't even realise it was International Men's Day, I think, until late Sunday night. Um, And I'm not sure if I'm just looking in the wrong places or I don't know anyone who cares about these things. I feel, and this um, this this is not a dig, I'm not firing shots here. But I feel when it's International Women's Day, I know all about it. And that's not from my wife, if just in case you're jumping to conclusions there. Um, I just feel that the, 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 the presence of that event, the call for acknowledgement, uh, is much more there. And I didn't, I had no sense of, <laughs> I had no sense of it being International Men's Day. And I feel like an international man because that's what was being celebrated. Am I right? <laughs> international men. If you weren't an international man, it wasn't your day. Um, okay, you know and I know that's not what they were celebrating. Okay, we were just celebrating men. Now, as it happens, a couple of months ago at this stage, I think, did you, do you if you were listening, you may recall I mentioned in one episode this idea I had for real men headlines and my my impulse behind this concept was to to sort of introduce a counter narrative or a celebration of just normal everyday men who aren't contributing to the negative narratives around men in 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 the world at the moment and that this is not a way to deny or quieten down causes for concern. In no way is this meant to, you know, distract from serious issues um, around male behaviour, uh, culturally, socially, whatever it might be. Um, that is not the, my proposal. My proposal is let's not lose sight that. A lot of men are just living their lives in the most normal ways and just doing good things uh, within their, and again, inverted commas, their their normal lives as partners, as as family members, as parents, work colleagues, um, volunteers, people involved in different organisations, clubs, societies, etc. So... I I'll just mention and again it's not to again I can't stress enough there's a there's a a mundanity to to these things an everydayness to these things that is probably not in any way remarkable but that's kind of my point um so from for example I'll just throw this one out there and it involves me <laughs> I may as well start with myself. It involves me. On Saturday night, I spent the night with uh, my cousin, Cormac, Harry Cormac. I don't know if you listen to the, the show, The Tell. Uh, we had been planning a boys' night. Dun, dun, dun. And all the women shudder, or all the women snicker. Uh, snicker or snigger? I think they're both, they're both uh, good options. But there's a general female eye roll. It's a boys' night. <laughs> anyway, our boys' night consisted of sitting in his kitchen, eating a lovely roast chicken dinner and lovely vegetables made by him, <laughs> drinking a little but not a lot of wine, and having as our guests for our boys' night our three daughters, as in <laughs> that we don't share them. <laughs> his two daughters and my one daughter and we had dinner and then we played Monopoly and we hung out with the girls Um, 
and then we stayed up for about an hour or so after the girls went to bed and had a bit of chat and then that was it that was the boys night so there was nothing nefarious there was nothing sneaky (laughs) there was nothing underhand and it was kind of it was kind of nice to go hmm I don't know how much of this was happening in the previous generation and again I'm not going to I'm not here to disparage uh, or cast aspersions on you know the fathers of my father's generation but it did feel like okay this is this is a shift isn't it is it am I am I mad you tell me but there was a part of me that had been really looking forward to the night being just he and I hanging out chatting going deep and whatever we wanted to talk about but then when I reflected I was like god that was actually really nice and um, you know three daughters just really happy to be hanging out with their fathers and it was just um it was just kind of lovely and there was a real just a lovely interchange between all parties involved and um I got to have a road trip (laughs) with my daughter I mean it was only up to Dublin from Wicklow so we're talking about an hour in the car but uh I find my daughter to be a great little traveling companion, even though she was kind of giddy and hyper on the Sunday driving back down and was driving me demented. Um, But we had a good laugh. So there you go. That was my real man headline. Two fathers spend Saturday night with daughters eating dinner and playing Monopoly. Everyone gets to bed on time. Boom. Okay, um, yeah, there you go. So that was, uh, let, let, let me just put that there as an international man's moment, okay? We're both international men, my cousin and I, we both lived overseas. We both lived in Melbourne at the same time for about the same amount of time, approximately 10 years. We sort of uh, underlapped or overlapped by six months to a year, I think. But yeah, we've spent time abroad our outlook is international. That is a thing. Do you, do you ever consider that? Because um, maybe you say international and we suspect or we think it might it must mean Austin Powers, you know, international man of mystery, James Bond, espionage or jet setters, um, you know, work that takes you all over the world. Maybe you're a person of international influence. Maybe you're... Uh, a leader of a nation <laughs> in your mind <laughs> but um, international I think it's an outlook and it's it's it, maybe I don't know what the opposite is I, I guess the way I'm thinking of it is the, the opposite might be somewhere in the area of parochial or inward looking rather than outward looking um, and it's not to imply a sort of egotistical sophistication. I'm not trying to adopt that or suggest that that comes with it. Simply more an openness. And if I return to that idea, if I, if I, if I place that idea at the centre of International Men's Day, being open to the shared male experience... Uh, I think that's the point of connectivity and I think that would be the case for the for International Women's Day as well that extraordinary sisterhood of of women with whom we share this planet and it would be nice if if there was confidence for maybe some female voices to say yeah that extraordinary brotherhood with whom we share the planet um because um it's not all it's not all doom and gloom even though if we go looking, it's easy to find the stories that scare us or confront us or make us feel let down. So two things then, two things to bump on from that. Um, I was watching recently Mike Nichols, the American movie director, uh, director of Working Girl. I'm very fond of that movie. <laughs> but I was watching his 1971 movie, Carnal Knowledge, are you familiar with that one? So Carnal Knowledge, I guess, was sort of groundbreaking at the time. It was a very frank look um, at male sexual mores, 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 sexual norms, 
and it featured Jack Nicholson and Art Garfunkel as two college buddies and follows them from college age into middle age and through their relationships and their male lens on love, on sex, on women. And it ages really well. And before I forget, let me just mention the actresses involved. So the two actresses who featured most heavily in it were Candace Bergen and Anne-Margaret. Um, and then there are smaller roles for Rita Marino and Cynthia O'Neill and Carol Kane, who you might know as the, the fisticuff boxing fairy from Bill Murray's version of A Christmas Carol, Scrooged. I'm not sure what else Carol Kane you'd know Carol Kane from like I can't think I, I mean I feel I always know who Carol Kane is but I can't particularly place her and I often feel I confuse her with Bernadette Peters just maybe because of the long blonde curly hair uh, they are not the same at all anyway um, that is a movie that is really interesting to look at I mean there are aspects of it that are dated but the you know the acting is uniformly very good um i think candace bergen's character is maybe not written as well as the other characters um i'm trying to think who the, the playwright was was it jules pfeiffer have i got that right it's very theatrical and even the 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 staging of the scenes is quite theatrical you could see it all playing out on stage and it's quite monologue and there are times when each of Jack Nicholson and Art Garfunkel are looking directly into the camera, even though they're in conversation with each other. And obviously that was a deliberate choice by Nichols, um, probably to invite us into the male mind. And I mean, I did a, an episode on this not that long ago in the wake of the Russell Brand scandal um or sex you know sexual assault allegations and spoke about this idea of you know the compartmentalization of male sexual desire and you know this movie really looks at that very frankly it's 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 a lovely it's a lovely jack nicholson performance in its quieter moments um he does get to do some of the kind of more histrionic jack nicholson stuff um and margaret is 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 very good as well um there's just one one great scene between jack nicholson and Anne margaret after they've slept together and she's in bed with the blanket covering her chest but sort of smoldering it's the day after the night before he's naked sitting on an armchair in his room with a, a sheet um covering his modesty or preserving his modesty and he's smoking and he's just been very kind of cash and blasé and, uh, you know, on the surface, very forthright about, you know, hey, I'm not making any promises here. I just want us to be really straightforward. And she's kind of smirking, grinning at him the whole time, very, in a very sexual way. And she's like, yeah, 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 it's all good. And she's like, you really are a prick, aren't you? And he kind of grins, but he's a little bit, taken aback um and that's the end of the scene <laughs> it is brilliant and for that scene alone the, the movie's worth watching in my opinion um jack nicholson his character in it is just an absolute dog he is a complete misogynist he's a complete sort of you know perpetual bachelor uh, art garfunkel reminded me a bit of jesse eisenberg um from the social network fame and yeah i think i thought he was actually very good i mean the only other movie i can think of him being in was a nick rogue thriller from the from around 1980 with harvey keitel and Teresa russell i think set in berlin maybe i've gone blank on the name of that movie though bad influence or something i'm not sure i can't remember the name sort of a psychosexual thriller um, I think Kytel plays a German police officer in that. But um, Art Garfunkel's character is more the, the, the romantic, a bit more naive, a bit softer, a bit more enthrall spiritually 
and uh, ideologically to women whereas Jack Nicholson it's it's just the you know the physical thing and he wants to be sort of sexually worshipped and satisfied constantly without without any conditions attached um, and his big blow up in the story is when Anne Margaret who has basically fallen into a, a depression through their relationship and spends most of her time in bed and she just she's sitting on the side of the bed crying um, just saying I, I want I want to get married I want you to marry me and it just sets him off on an explosive tirade um, kind of full of you know accusatory rage at her deception and he's just hurling insults at her um, and it's sort of it is it's kind of the id exposed and the temper tantrum this is not what I want I just want I want the benefits with none of the cost um, and so it was kind of you know it's 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 yeah it's 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 a it's a fascinating movie and I think compared to maybe other movies of the time it actually ages quite well because there's a sort of a, a straightness to it um, I mean and the only thing that really dates it is some of the fashion and at one point um, Art Garfunkel and Jack Nicholson later in the movie are walking through the street and Art Garfunkel basically says to him I'm, I'm just getting some really bad vibrations from you or you're giving off bad vibrations and apart from that I mean most of the language used um, doesn't date it that much um, I think uh, there's a way of behaving that is maybe dated a bit and the sexual politics uh, as they played out within the social expectations of the time are are a little bit they, they look a bit quaint but I guess we're meant to think that if that was college to middle age I guess their college days were I don't know late 50s early 60s so everyone was a little bit more innocent um, and Candace Bergen's character probably gets trapped in that milieu and doesn't get to even though she's very a very strong character on another level when it comes to the sexual stuff she's another woman being manipulated by you know the the sexual desire and the sort of the guilt inducing behavior of the spurned male lover so um yeah interesting interesting and and kind of fun and kind of brilliant in a way I, I, I yeah i really like that movie so um one to go and find if you if you haven't seen it carnal knowledge great name great name as well for the movie um and yeah i mean i won't i won't ruin the i mean i've thrown in a couple of spoilers there but it's um yeah, it's pretty pretty clear. The, the 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 story's opinion of the characters is quite clear by the end of it. They're both, um, yeah. I don't know. It's um, it it didn't feel it didn't feel inauthentic. It felt very believable, um, and I feel I've certainly had at different times in my life. I've had variations of some of those conversations with different male friends, but maybe not for a long time. Um, so brings me it brings me to the next thing and I've spoken I mean I've spoken at length on this podcast at different times about um, you know toxic masculinity male attitudes to, to sex my own attitudes to, to sex to women I've talked about my marriage carefully um, I always try to be I always try to be very respectful and mindful of my wife her mode is quite different to mine and she doesn't always love the fact that I speak about some of these things on the podcast so I try not to expose or implicate her um, too explicitly because that just feels like bad form um, that said I have spoken pretty honestly about most of these things and just want to give a shout out to Mark O'Brien, the co-artistic director of the Abbey Theatre, the National Theatre here in Ireland, who uh, he threw something up for International Men's Day on his uh, his Twitter feed, the his X feed, which was basically for International Men's Day. I think men should think about or reflect. I don't know how he phrased it, but basically, I think men should be reflecting on or thinking about um, vulnerability, 
violence and sexuality. And that was it. Nothing else. Nothing else attached. It, it, I, it didn't seem to get much traction, his comment. But, you know, I'm interested. Mark's, Mark has commented at different times on areas of male behavior and male violence. And I know Mark through work we did together years ago with Team Educational Theatre Company over 20 years ago. I had a lovely catch up with Mike Mark earlier this year when I was doing the show with Broken Talkers Theatre Company um, as part of the What Does He Need collaborative arts project. Um, Mark's a really good guy. I like where he comes from. I like his sort of artistic outlook. Um, He's a solid individual. Um, And so I'm always interested just to, to see what his little prompts are or what he's kind of putting out there into the world. And it's funny though, when you put out that text, my my honest, my honest kind of initial reaction <laughs> was one of, I, I felt there was an implied accusation, um, you know, aimed at men. And I... My, my my brain kind of just went to this kind of thing of oh here we go again here's um and again i'm just saying I'm, I'm just being honest about my reaction i'm not saying that this was mark's intention but i just felt like oh here we are yeah man we have to atone and it was just an initial response it was kind of a gut reaction and then I sort of went, I just stepped away from it and went, hold on, what's he actually, let me just read that again. Like there are three things that are worth reflecting on. Vulnerability, violence, and sexuality. I mean, they're, 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 pretty, they're, pretty, they're pretty big and they're pretty central to, to, to human interaction. Um... And then I just was like, you know, you know, very, very quickly, I feel quite clear about my own relationship to those things. I'm obviously a huge advocate of vulnerability as a core element of self-care and personal responsibility, um, as a core element of personal wellness. Um, and I am a huge advocate of, of vulnerability in men. Um, finding a place where they can express vulnerability, finding a place where they feel it's safe to be vulnerable, because I think that is central to male the male kind of negotiation of of trauma, the male negotiation of their own wound, the male negotiation of areas of failure are areas of, of shame, um, areas where they feel they're being accused of not succeeding. Um, and I think there's a relationship, um, you know, in th- that, that feeds into violence and sexuality um, when vulnerability is not expressed safely or vulnerability is not something that men embrace with confidence um but the so so you know if i if i, if I you know and, and i suppose th- that was the reason i spoke about carnal knowledge because there's you know you know sexuality um is really the driving force male sexuality is the driving force of that movie of that story of those two male characters um vulnerability is in the mix as well um and violence not so much it depends on our interpretation of violence of course because if you want to i suppose misogyny is an expression of violence it might not be physicalized but there's a a psychological and social violence um if that is if that is the male mode of thinking of women um it's certainly yeah it there is a there is a an implied violence in that um, because women are objects of hate um, and you know objects of derision um, 
and of course there can be can be there isn't i mean it's not they don't necessarily go hand in hand but of course there can be a relationship between misogyny and the sexual objectification of women i've spoken about that before as well at the idea of reducing women to sexual utility um that's a you know something i have a have an issue with as in <laughs> i personally do not do that <laughs> and it's not my issue to solve but i'm saying when, when i encounter that mentality i hate it i you know i really i i find it I mean, if I say I find it disgusting, it sounds like I'm getting a little bit, you know, hysterical or reactionary. I mean, but I do. I find it very objectionable and I find it sort of repellent and I it provokes in me an instant distrust of the of, of the man who expresses that, you know, that that attitude or that idea or belief. Um, I find it so sort of boring i find it so sort of dispiriting um i find it very immature and yeah i I just don't trust it i don't trust where it comes from and it just feels that there's unaddressed stuff that is being masked by a sort of a lazy offhand um and really kind of gross expression of chauvinism um but in any case that's um I've, I've, I've covered this territory before um, and really what I wanted to get to today which I'll cover now in the, the latter part of the, the episode is I found myself reflecting on the idea of atonement in general so not specifically tethered to male behaviour um, but just as a general idea um, and so I found myself asking the question, you know, what, what do we owe whom or to whom do we owe what in terms of having to pay for something? Because I don't know about you, but when I think of atonement, I think of payment and I suppose I also think of punishment and I also think of the the idea of atoning for one's sins or atoning for one's crimes and if we stay in, in, in an area of, of criminal behaviour, if we stay in an area of breaking the law if we stay in the area in that area where we have a um you know where we have a, a judicial system and you have um a penal system and we have prisons and sentences to be handed down that are commensurate with the crime that's been committed um and in the absence of other options and with a philosophical adherence to the desire for rehabilitation i'm you know i'm fine with all of that and i know prisons are very flawed they're very they're very flawed um you know they are very flawed institutions generally um and there's huge rates of recidivism generally um but they're they're the best we can come up with um in, in the absence of alternatives um so when I'm thinking of atonement, I'm thinking in more general terms and in more interpersonal terms and maybe on individual terms as well. Um, and if you look up, you know, if you look up, uh, you know, definitions of atonement or just put in a general, a general search online for atonement, two things come up predominantly one is the ian McEwan novel which i've never read the other is the film based on the ian McEwan novel of the same name atonement uh which i haven't seen which starred james mcavoy and Kira knightley and a very young saoirse ronan which set her on the road to stardom um that film must be is it 15 years old now 
Uh, very good movie, I believe. But again, I haven't seen it. So that comes up. And then you get the Christian um, uh, the Christian definition or the Christian legend or lore of atonement as it relates to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of the Son of God for the, the sins of the people. For our, he died for our sins, they tell us. Um, as I've stated before, I am an atheist. I do not believe in this lore. I And I do not believe, and I, I spoke about this again earlier this year, I did an episode on original sin and how I reject the concept with every fibre of my being. So there may be a bit of crossover with some of my positions um, as, as they pertain to atonement. Um because I read quite a few quotes from different figures, some clerics, some not, um, relating to the idea of atonement in the Christian context and how, well, my understanding from what I read was if you embrace and fully accept the idea of atonement um, as, a, as iterated, are as symbolized by the crucifixion of Jesus, as symbolized by his sacrifice. The idea is that the way is now clear to enter the embrace of the Lord. Um, so I, I don't feel any need for that personally, and I don't believe in a Lord to be embraced by. So it doesn't resonate with me. Um, and also, I don't like the idea of vicarious atonement that someone else someone else gets punished for my crime um, and I'm free <laughs> like that doesn't work for me in, in my philosophy and my code of personal responsibility if I've messed up and I owe someone payment in some way and I'm speaking metaphorically not literally that's me that's that's on me that's on me to make that good and that's about you know and, and that's about it for me this is where i kind of go okay so if if i go with that idea of i've transgressed in some way and i've like, like for argument's sake i've caused someone offense or i've done somebody a wrong intentionally or not um what does what does that what does reparation look like what does recovery of that relationship look like and can the process of trying to make it good of trying to recover it can that be described as atonement and you know on a mo on the most basic level is atonement reduced to the expression of of um the expression of regret the expression of of sorrow the expression of contrition and again, if you go back um, a bit further in the archives for the podcast, I did do a whole episode on forgiveness um, and contrition. Um, I referred to this recently for some reason because I did an episode looking at the the aftermaths and the peacemaking processes after the the troubles in Northern Ireland, the conflict um, in Northern Ireland that ran mostly through the seventies and eighties. And also the peace and reconciliation process that happened in South Africa after the end of apartheid. Um, and yeah, I was just looking at that idea, um, the relationship between contrition and forgiveness. And do you need to be forgiven to, you know, for, your, for contrition to have meaning? Or can you be contrite without being forgiven? And is that meaning enough? And so there is crossover into this idea of atonement. Um, but I suppose my, my question is, you know, well, to whom should we atone? And what should the nature of our atonement be? And is, is there any real merit in, in atonement that goes beyond the ex, you know, the, the the expression of genuine contrition, um, because then it's no longer merely atonement; it it is punishment, and 
you know, it, like it's interesting to conceive of this in a, in a parenting frame and go, you know, I feel like I've heard parents say about a child that's, you know, and again, I'll use the word transget, transgressed for the sake of simplicity. But I've heard parents say in reference to a child who's transgressed, oh, they've suffered long enough. Uh, you know let them we'll let them come out of the dungeon (laughs) we'll let them come out of their room we'll return their phone rights we'll take them out for a treat and it's an extraordinary power to wield over somebody isn't it and so let's take it away from i mean that example i think is very easy to grasp but like if you take it away from parenting and the idea that um someone has to suffer and has to be seen to suffer before their their right to well-being is restored or before their right to feeling positive about themselves is restored um it's i i find it kind of nebulous like i find it sort of what is this about really like whose needs are being met and I mean, I suppose you can think of, you know, again, and again, it's probably just the, my examples are crude and maybe it deserves more subtlety than this. But you might think, oh, I got really drunk and I threw up at the, the dinner party and my wife was really embarrassed. And then I had to atone for that. Um <laughs> I'm just getting a flashback. <laughs> did I tell you this story before? I think I did tell you this story before. Um, the story of the Christmas party. Now, my example I just gave before was a manufactured one, but it put me in mind of a night years ago um, before my wife and I moved out to Australia. I was working as a, a substitute teacher in a local school in Wicklow. And it was a Christmas night out. And I went... I was traveling half an hour, 40 minutes down the road to it was a house party, dinner, drink. Um, I was being driven by someone and I left the house with the keys to my wife's car. And she had to go to a gig in Dublin. I did tell you this before, didn't I? And then she wasn't able to get to that gig because the keys to her car were in my pocket. And I'd hung my coat up when I got to the party and I left my phone on silent in my coat because I was at a party and I wasn't there to be on the phone. And when I got back to the phone later that night, I was very drunk. There haven't been that many very drunk nights in my life, but this was one of them. And I had like, I don't know, 20 missed calls from my wife and angry voice messages. (laughs) And I was just ringing her drunkenly, telling her how much I loved her. And I got dropped back home late that night and I, at that time we were living in an apartment block in Wicklow Town and there was a little side entrance, a gate with, through which uh, I could get access to my to our apartment. And I walked through that gate and I threw up everything that I had eaten that night. Um, and I went home, I fell asleep <laughs> and I got up the next day, I had to teach, I went to school and... When I came home from school that day, I went up and I boiled kettles and I went out to wash, wash what I had left on the path off the, uh, you know, off the path. And an elderly woman lived downstairs from us. She's a very nice woman. And she came along and saw me cleaning the path. I said, oh, you're so good. Oh, you're very good to clean that up. Oh, awful. And I was like, oh, I know. Disgusting. I said, imagine. And course i just let on that i had no idea where it had come from but i was being a good samaritan cleaning up <laughs> cleaning up someone else's horribleness someone else's failure to control themselves anyway there you go i just had a flash of that memory and you know it was funny then and it's funny now <laughs> um so and again I, I have to say uh i don't have any memory of um, my wife making me atone. I don't have any memory of her punishing me for that, although it still does come up every now and again in conversation. And 
I mean, I, I, you know, I don't emerge well. There's no two ways about it. Although I will say, <laughs> I will say the reason my wife's keys, car keys were in my pocket were because she had asked me to lift something heavy out of the car and bring it into the apartment before I left, which I did. So I was a good boy. But then I left with the keys. So then I was a bad boy. And maybe that comes back. This is the, Maybe that actually hits on what I'm talking about here. The whole idea of being good, being bad. One of the, one of the um, kind of foundational parenting lessons that is often put out there nowadays is never tell your kids that they're good or bad. Rather just discuss the behaviour or discuss the action or try to get to a place of understanding the implications of the behaviour. Um, but, you know, good and bad are two... I guess the, 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 the concepts are too enormous and the implications of one or the other go too deep without real nuance um and i I feel like i've read quite a bit and come across quite a bit the 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 idea of being a good girl and how women will talk about the, the the damaging effect on their their agency on their sense of independence their their sense of a kind of a sovereign right to have individuality can all be done away with by trying to conform to the expectations and rewarded behavior of being a in inverted commas good girl um and something about that that is people pleasing and the dampening down of prickliness or awkwardness or individual counter opinion um and it's it seems to it seems to be it seems to be not uncommon for that to have been a very destructive dynamic in 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 women's lives and in individual in in individual women's lives and again i've no issue with understanding that um and so again we get into the kind of idea of good and bad and you've been bad you must atone and i will decide on the nature of the atonement um I, yeah, I have a problem with it because I, I think there's something excessive and disproportionate, if they're not the same words. <laughs> Is that a tautology? Um, but excessive, no, they're not, they're different. Excessive and disproportionate in terms of really and truly what's the need being met here. I mean, I said that earlier. Like, what is the need being met? Who's, and whose need is being met? And what is the nature of that need? I need to see sorrow. I need to see sorrow and guilt and contrition acted out in front of me for this amount of time. I find that concept absurd. Now, When I speak about these things, I try to kind of, you know, in, in my mind, there's an imagined kind of scale or an imagined range of normal, um, normal sort of, you know, interpersonal slash psychosocial or psychological bandwidth. There's a range that falls within normal parameters where people have a an understanding of of expectation socially interpersonally where people have an understanding of that's not really acceptable that is acceptable so i'm not talking about extreme cases where people are you know pathologically uh wired very differently are are unable to feel compassion or are unable to consider consequences um, I mean, those are very particular cases and I have no, I claim no expertise in in those areas. So I, I'm, I'm, you know, generally when I speak about human behavior, I'm speaking within very normal, experiential, um, seen and lived 
um, you know, seen and lived ranges of experience um, in terms of how we behave and interact with each other. Um, so the, you know, so what I was, was going to say was like the idea of someone having done something wrong and the sense of a need for consequences to to maintain a healthy relationship, to maintain uh, relational stability, to retain stability um, within a larger um, group of people, community, society. Um, I don't really, you know, I don't, I don't have an issue with that as a principle. Um, but if I bring it back to just interpersonal, I think the idea of punishment and the idea of that kind of that being the the, the measure of atonement that being the tool or the methodology of atonement I really dislike I think it's enough if you're dealing with this imaginary person within the normal bounds of behavior and again i can use these use these terms you know in a, in a you know in a cautionary you know, you know cautiously understanding that you know normal has many many different ways uh, you know of being expressed but you know what i mean you know what i mean I'm, I'm not trying to kind of disown this but just i'm just putting that kind of caveat in there i think it should be enough that the situation or the incident or whatever the transgression is, it should be enough that it is looked at, it's discussed, it's looked at with openness, with honesty, and then with the kind of the immeasurables, the unknowables, with genuine intention. You know, with good, true intention, like good faith. I am really truly looking at this. I am truly looking at my behavior. And then if there is an expression of contrition, again, that is deemed to be genuine. That's it. There's no need then for there to be ongoing. I hope you're still feeling sorry about that. Because what is that about? Like the person to whom the sorrow is being displayed or for whom is being displayed like what's what's the you know what's the real benefit of that i go back to what i said before like that just feels like such a gratuitous uh, expectation such a gratuitous display uh, or wielding of power over another person okay now you have permission to smile again um like I, I have these flashpoints with my daughter. We both run a bit hot. Our personalities clash. We have these little squabbles, rows. And I understand from my wife's point of view, sometimes she'll look at us and go, it's like having two kids. Now, I don't accept that. I'm like, this is my relationship with my daughter. I'm very clear about my role as a parent, as a father. I try to be very consistent in terms of my parenting approach being in line with how my wife likes to do things as well i feel that's better for our daughter there's less ambiguity i try to be supportive um but our, i'm very aware my personality is different to my wife's personality how we interact with my daughter individually is very different and so my daughter and i will have these flashes um and i mean you've heard me many many times now refer to you know getting angry being disappointed with getting angry using a loud voice shouting being just you know too big with that angry energy and then you know and, and i'm putting this in the context of how i parent my daughter and then want needing to own that and go back to my daughter and go do you know what i was i was wrong i you didn't deserve to be spoken to that way that was me being angry about something else and i didn't you know maintain control and this isn't on you and i'm sorry and that's it and we deal with it and then i just hope that 
this doesn't become a childhood trauma that <laughs> surfaces later in life and comes back to haunt me or has implications for relationships my daughter might have um, in her life as an adult. And I know that it probably will on on one level or another because that's how we are as as people. And those are the, 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 the effects and the impacts of parenting um, and how we view relationships, how we view love, what we feel safe with, what we don't feel safe with. But to flip it back the other way, if my daughter comes to me and is apologizing for something, I often hear myself saying, it's okay, you don't need to apologize for that. Um, you know, we've dealt with it. And I'm not looking for an apology, just acknowledge the behavior and you know, be aware that you know, I don't like it or I, I don't approve of it and let's move on. And I don't need my daughter then to wallow in guilt or to demonstrate to me that she is truly sorry. Because um, I don't want to burden her with that. Um, yeah. Okay, so... I don't know. I don't know if I have anything else. Oh yeah, I have, the only other thing I was thinking of in that area was atonement on on an individual level. So then this is not interpersonal. This is just your own thing. And atonement, what does atonement look like there? I was thinking of it a bit in terms of... Um, Discipline, self, you know, personal kind of, you know, self-discipline. For me, my relationship to exercise, that may have, you know, it may have an element of atonement to it. Because I, as I've, as, as I've discussed before, the way I exercise and apart from, you know, my Thursday night game of football with the lads, how are you lads I don't think they even know I have a podcast um, that's that's a group thing that's social I really really enjoy it uh, and then I teach some karate and tai chi and I have students to teach there's a social aspect to that but otherwise all you know the vast majority of my exercise is solo you know swimming walking uh, doing my own you know karate training my own kind of tai chi chi gong that kind of stuff, conditioning, um, solo, solo, solo. Um, and sometimes I think this is, you know, this is my kind of, my balancing, the balancing element in my life. So if there are areas in my life where I'm failing, where I feel, for want of a better word, Jeannie Mac, <laughs> I was going to say flaccid, <laughs> um, you know, flat, uh, <laughs> That's a very unfortunate word I chose there. But, you know, areas where I'm just simply not succeeding, where I'm lacking power, where I'm lacking impetus, um, where there's no energy. And again, just to go with it, where there's no thrust. When there are areas of my life where, where that's the case and I feel I'm letting myself down or I feel I'm letting other people down, the exercise that I do becomes a form of atonement. I mean, I'm just I'm just going to acknowledge that, like it, it does, and it's funny. I used to have I used to have a you know a good laugh with a, a former colleague in America who uh, sorry she was from America. She was a teacher I worked with in Melbourne, and again I don't think she listens to the podcast, but on the off chance, hi Anne, how are you? And Anne was a we, we were we were co-teachers we had a lot of fun together she was a former actress we loved movies um but she was also a devout christian and i think preacher um and so there was a sort of an ideological war uh, that we occasionally playfully like in a good-natured way we kind of you know we jostled uh, with each other and bristled against each other in, in certain areas of our kind of beliefs and convictions um but she used to, to laugh and tease me about my exercise and swimming and um, a sort of, a, she drew parallels with a sort of a, a monk-like ascetism um, and sort of a, a self-flagellatory 
element to what I was doing, the cold water, winter swims in the dark, um, in early, early morning in, in Melbourne. Um, and yeah, I just laugh at it. And I mean, I took it in the spirit, you know, with which it was intended. Um, but I recognised um, an element of truth to it, which is also what made me laugh. Because <laughs> because maybe there is a little bit of psycho in me when I put myself into the cold sea um, in the middle of winter. Now today I, I went to the sea, but it was too rough. I have a bit of a sore neck and shoulder and I decided, you know what? No, it's okay. I can give this one a miss today. So I do do that on occasion. And so the need to atone was not so strong today. Um, but it's an interesting question. And I think it's an interesting concept. I think it's a pretty powerful concept. The whole idea of atonement and the place it might occupy in your life or in your mind. And if you are feuding or fighting with someone you know, do you feel that they should atone? It's it's very to me. It's very kingly or or godly to to try and extract that from someone. You must atone for what you've done to me. You know, there's a sort of a a thirst for retribution, for revenge. Um, the the value of which I question, the value of which I sort of distrust. Um, it doesn't. I don't know. I don't know um, if it's if, if if it's about a question the the rehabilitative benefits of it. Um, I question my right to expect that from anybody. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I I'm happy to engage if there's been problems. I welcome the expression of regret from people I care about. I welcome that. I welcome the expression of sorrow of contrition if that's what's required or if that's what the other person feels is going to be of use to them um but like what i like you know what i respond to is the gesture what i respond to is the intention i want to repair this i want us to be good again that's of so much greater value to me than any demonstration of of guilt or, a dem- or an acting out of, again, of atonement. I'm like, I don't need that. Let's just pick up from here. And like, if we are understanding each other well, um, and if the intention feels authentic, uh, and for me, that's that's energetic. You feel it, you feel the energy. You know, you know, when it's with people, you know, you know when it's good, you know when it's true, you know when it's real. And that renewal of the journey in a better place that's what counts and what's gone is gone um and if i can't get over it that's not about the other person that's about me and i mean that's really important to note in all of this you know if i'm still looking for atonement it's much more about what i want and what i need and not what the other person is doing or what they've done it's you know when will my desire for satisfaction be be sated what needs to happen i'm just like i feel very uncomfortable i feel very uncomfortable around that it's like you know what's happening between us now and is what's still available to us worth pursuing um and i think that's where i come back to is this are we continuing on this journey together and how are we going to do that in a way that was better than it was yesterday? Because that's far more interesting to me than, you know, yeah, than showing me how sorry you are for what's gone before and, you know, listing the wrongs, the injustices. It's like, okay, where are we now? What are you able for now that's going to take us to a better place? Um, I mean, that's, that's what I would offer as well. Do I need to be punished? <laughs> again my brain goes to funny places <laughs> punish me please okay sorry that's an hour and two and i've got to get the hell out of here get out of dodge as they say um i'm done and maybe you're done have you atoned do you feel the need to atone do you do, you know do you agree with me do you feel it maybe it doesn't have it shouldn't have such an important place or maybe it doesn't um 
Maybe I should ask Mark O'Brien what he thinks. Okay, that's it. I'm done. I'm done for another week. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you choosing this podcast, spending this time with me. I hope you got something out of it. I hope it provoked some thoughts. I hope it made you laugh, smile. I hope you leave this podcast with better energy than uh, you entered it with. Um, that's that's a and that's a good return, isn't it? That's a that's a good that's a good exchange, a good transaction. Okay, I'm done. Take it easy. Mind yourselves as always, and I will be back next week with something else. Take care. See you. Bye.